What is up, guys, and welcome to another episode of Guarani Vision, the first ever podcast dedicated to Paraguayan football in English. As always, I'm Roberto Rojas, and joining me today are my two great co-hosts, Ralph Hanna and Maria Britos. And guys, today we'll be doing a special episode today. As we head into a new season in the Premier League in about a few weeks, we'll be talking about some of those Paraguayan players who play on these teams and get a bit more of a perspective on what that player will do, what are the expectations, a bit of the team as well. And I'm delighted today that we'll be having a special guest today to talk about Julio Enciso with Brighton and Hope Albion correspondent Andy Naylor of The Athletic. But before we get Andy here into this great discussion, let me get my two co-hosts in. Ralph, how are you, man? Hey, Roberto, I'm good. Um, enjoying Florida sun as you are as well, because I know you're, you're down in Orlando, so... You're getting a bit of a tan and watching Arsenal, which I'm very jealous of. So I'd, I'd love to be there as well. Um, yeah, and doing good and excited for, for today's episode to talk about Enciso, who I, who I think is, for everybody in Paraguay, the, the most exciting prospect to have left the country in, whew, I don't know, maybe maybe 20 years if we go back to Roque. So so really excited to to talk about him as he as he starts his first, first season abroad and and we can see at really what level he is because we already know that he kind of completed Paraguay. That was too easy for him. And he's he's ready for something much bigger now. Absolutely. And Maria, I'll get you in this discussion because I think it'll be interesting to get the perspective, especially for some of the Paraguayan players who maybe are familiar with the Premier League, but perhaps aren't as familiar with like Brighton and Hove Albion and obviously the team that's had this kind of success so far in the Premier League. It's going to be great to to see what kind of perspective that we can get, especially on, on CISO. Of course, yeah. And hey, guys. Hi, Andy. Thank you for joining us. Um, it's going to be uh, great to see how he does in this team. Um, you know, we, are, we as Paraguayans are very proud and very happy that he gets to see something different and play and, you know, bring, um, bring the Paraguayan game um, abroad. So looking forward to talking to Andy about it. And here we have Andy here as we get him into this discussion. Andy, first things first, obviously, uh, obviously a good CV of what you've had covering Brighton and Hove Albion. But for those that maybe don't know you or maybe haven't been able to follow some of the work that you do, just tell a little bit about that. And obviously for the viewers of what makes you covering Brighton and Hove Albion so special to you. Well, first of all, hello to you all and thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I was hired by The Athletic when we launched in the UK, which was August 2019. So coming up nearly three years. Before that, I was on the local newspaper, The Evening Argus, covering the club for around about 30 years. So one way or another, I've been, I've been covering Brighton for a, a very long time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and obviously the club in that time has has changed dramatically you know mid 1990s we were talking about a club that were about to leave their their home for sort of a century the goldstone ground the best part of a century the goldstone ground they had money problems they nearly went out of the league in england the football league and um here we are you know premier league ninth last season highest ever finish uh, and just progressing nicely as a club, as a Premier League club under under Graham Potter as the head coach and Tony Bloom, the owner chairman, since he took over sort of 2008. And they're really fortunate because this is a lifelong Brighton fan. 
with family connections with the with the board and um he's also got quite a lot of money as well so they've got the best of both worlds and uh, andy that really brings me on to my first question as well because yeah we've seen this development of brighton and they, they finished ninth last season i think they were only maybe a couple of points short of of europa league so what are going into this season and it's julian Cesar's first season what's kind of Brighton's aims do you think for the Premier League is it to keep building they've lost some players they've lost Bissouma for example off to mm -hmm. Tottenham so is it kind of consolidation or are they trying to trying to build onto that and, and maybe make Europe this season well it's been a gradual progress since they were since they were promoted went up from the championship 16-17 in those first four seasons they, they were bottom six um, they were a bit unfortunate the season before last. They played well in a lot of games. The luck didn't really go their way. So um, they could have finished higher than their position. But last season, they kicked on again. I, I think what's really important to remember was they went into the last game against West Ham at home and they actually could have finished anywhere between 14th and 9th. That's how kind of tight it was. They came up with a good result in that, were 1-0 down, 1-3-1, and, and ended ninth. So um, I think we just need to be a little bit careful about the level of expectations with what comes after finishing ninth. Um, because if, if they dropped a little below that, and I'm not saying they will, but if they dropped a little below that, that still wouldn't be a bad season. They're, they're, they're building long-term to try and establish themselves as a top 10 club. That's the kind of long-term vision. There's no time frame on that, but they want to reach a stage really where they're not one of those teams. The first thing you're thinking about is how many points can we get to finish out of the bottom three? Realistically, that is still going to be the case with them at the moment. That will still be the first thing you think about this season and then build from there. But they, were, they weren't far off last season from European football in the end. That would be the, the kind of next logical and realistic step. If they could get to seventh, say, qualify for Europe for the first time in the club's history, that's, that's a nice sort of future target to aim for. Okay. And you mentioned... I like the way you kind of mention it very gradual and, and long-term because that's also what we've seen uh, Brighton's recent policy with lots of their players and that brings me to Enciso because we saw for example someone like uh, Moises Caicedo from from Ecuador he joined didn't really get a chance he went he went on loan and and then they brought him in the end of last season so I guess everybody's question is we've seen Enciso a lot on social media I noticed Brighton are using him a lot in in training and things but what do you think his role is likely to be next season? Do you think we will see him play early on? Is he looking for a loan? If he does get used, where where do we think Graham Potter would, would want to use him as well? Because he's a very versatile guy. Yeah. Well, first of all, the first thing to say is he has made a kind of immediate impression. You know, he, he seems to have settled in well. The fans have taken to him, although they haven't actually really seen him play yet. They, they had the... I had a game behind closed doors against Royal Union, the club in Belgium, uh, St. Gilwa, that is, that the um, owner chairman, Tony Bloom, is co-owner of. So that was their first pre-season outing. He played in that. Uh, 
Graham Potter basically gave everybody 45 minutes. He showed up well in that, in his half, was playing kind of just as almost like a second forward with Danny Welbeck. And I must confess, I didn't see there. They had a week's training in Portugal last week and they had a friendly behind closed doors against Estoril on the Saturday. Um, it was my 34th wedding anniversary that day. So I wasn't actually watching a behind closed doors friendly. <laughs> uh, but um, again, he's, he, I, I think it's going to be really interesting. And you mentioned uh, Moises Cachado. It's going to be really in interesting to see uh, what they do with who they, they, they approach each player in, you know, on an individual basis. And there have been cases where players have been integrated straight away. There have been cases where players have been sent immediately out on loan. And, and what happened with Moises was that they had a period for him to settle in, to adapt. Uh, if, you, if, if you actually look back, he was in the squad a lot. He was in the Premier League squad quite a bit without ever getting any minutes. And it was only then that he went on loan to be a shot in Belgium. And then they brought him back in the January and then bang, he hit the ground running and back in the last season really looked good. So it would be quite interesting. My gut feeling is that they might take a similar route with, I, I, I can't be sure about that, but I suspect they might keep him in the house as it were to begin with. You know, this is an 18 year old lad who, who's coming from different country, different culture. So uh, I'm not sure that they'll loan him out straight away, depending how, how things go and how that works out. I wouldn't rule out a loan a bit further down the line, but, you know, who knows? He might hit the ground running and wow everybody. So um, you mentioned his versatility. That is, he certainly fits the Brighton model in that sense as well. Yeah. When you look at the Brighton squad, they've got so many players who can play in multiple positions. And, 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 that, and a, lot, a lot, quite a few of those players have developed that way since Graham Potter took charge. I think he's taken some of them out of their sort of comfort zone. What I mean is in terms of position, you know, player X might have been used to playing here. No, Graham Potter has used him there and somewhere else as well. Um, so I think in terms of that, that, that kind of versatility that uh, he has, certainly fits in with, with the Brighton model, as does the fact that he's young. They've bought him at a relatively low price and he'll have the chance to grow with the club. That is very much part of Brighton's identity. Well, Andy, you uh, sort of answered a lot of my questions oh, there sorry, already. Sorry, sorry that, <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> but um, I, I see that, you know, um, you you mentioned about him adapting into the club. Um, how have you seen him? If you've seen him on, on you know, with the teams, yeah. with the team members, because he was brought in, um, you know, sort of like a plan B for, for Brighton. And, um, you know, how does he, um, does he understand that, you know, does he adapt with that mentality that, you know, I'm here as plan B? Um, does he get a chance to, to, to talk to the, the first team, you know, um, well, how do you see him so far? He's very much at the moment in that first team squad, in that, in that first team environment. I think what's good as well, when you look back at him at Libertad, he had Roque, obviously, he had Oscar Cardozo. At Brighton, there's a really nice blend for him. He has Danny Welbeck, who, as, as I indicated, he was kind of playing up front within the first friendly. 
really experienced Manchester United, Arsenal, England. There's Adam Lallana, ex-Liverpool in England midfield, who's a very vocal influence on the pitch. And then he's got a lot of um, South American, Spanish-speaking influence around him as well. Alexis McAllister, who we haven't mentioned yet, Argentinian midfielder, Moises. So there's a nice, there's a nice blend there. And just just from what we've seen so far, it looks like he's he's fitted in well. That that adaptation has gone well so far. Obviously, I think that I think the language that will help the more he gets to gets to uh, uh, have lessons and stuff and speak the speak the language. We've seen uh, other players like Moises and Alexis really come on in that in that sense as well. So I think that will help him. Um, one of the things I've been quite almost surprised about was um, just looking at some of the footage and stuff is, 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 is his stature. He actually seems quite, he seems a little bit bigger than perhaps we envisaged in terms, in terms of height. And I also know that he's, he's, he's been working with a personal trainer as well. So um, obviously it's a different sort of game, um, very high level the Premier League, but also the physicality of the Premier League as well. So um, it may take him some time. It just varies. You, you never know with players coming from a completely different culture, different environment. Some settle straight away. Others, it takes a bit longer. So it'll be fascinating to see how it works out with Julio. Well, I guess um, I'll go on. Um, have you um, have you gotten any feedback from uh, fans uh, about his uh, you know about his uh, transferring to to Brighton? Uh, um, have you how or if not, have you seen social media and 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 what what do they say about about him? Certainly across social media, I think it's fair to say they're pretty excited, <laughs> pretty excited about what he might bring. Um, he looks like that kind of what you might call a flair signing. Uh, which they'll find uh, they find quite appealing. Um, it'll be interesting to see they actually have a, a friendly tomorrow way to championship team Reading. Um, so that'll be the the first sort of proper pre-season game that's with with crowd. Um, so I'm sure he'll play some part in that. They'll probably use it again to use a lot a lot of the squad. Uh, they've got a behind closed doors friendly next week against uh, Brentford of a fellow Premier League team. And then they've got their, so the first chance that kind of most Brighton fans will get to see him is on the week before the season starts, they entertain Espanyol, La Liga side, at the Amex Stadium. And then a week on from that, it's Manchester United away. Nice, easy start. <laughs> Certainly a, 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 an easy start, you would say, for Brighton Hove Albion in this season. And I just wanted to jump into that, actually, Andy, because you look at the season that Brighton have had so far. Well, I was going to start, of course, just going into it. They got Manchester United away, obviously a big fixture in that one. Then they go and host Newcastle United, who obviously have another Paraguayan on their team in Miguel Amarone before taking on West Ham, Leeds, Fulham and then Leicester for the first six games. How would you assess those first six games for Brighton and just like, I guess, the expectation from them heading into, you know, obviously the first few weeks of the Premier League season? I'm very loath to make any predictions and I'll tell you why, Roberto. I look at Brighton last season and you look at a lot of their results. They struggled against 
some of the lower sides, the bottom teams, particularly ones who came to the Amex, maybe sat deep, uh, and Brian had this very progressive style of play, and they at times struggled to break teams down. If you look at that start that you've just spoken about on paper, that looks difficult. They had a period at the back end of last season when you looked at the fixtures and thought, that is really difficult. They won at Arsenal. They won at Spurs in back-to-back -back games. Towards the end of the season, they beat Manchester United 4-0 at the Amex. Finished with that 3-1 victory against West Ham. So, who knows? Their record against the, against the top four, if you like, last year, or the big six, was sensational, particularly away from home. So they had this very strange record last season. They were phenomenal away from home. They only lost four times away from home all season. But they were pretty awful at the Amex until the back-to-back -back late wins against Manchester United and West Ham. So those games look tough. It looks like a tough start. They started last season really well, which was a good springboard. They, they won four of their first five, I think I'm right in saying, which obviously... Gives you, a bit, gives you a bit of breathing space because when you're a club of Brighton's stature in the Premier League, they are going to have tough periods. That will happen. It's how you deal with that and how you come out of it. So um, it, it, it could be a difficult start. They could find themselves quite low down in the table after those, those games you've mentioned. On the other hand, it wouldn't surprise me if they get results. They're certainly... How do we know what to expect from Manchester United? I mean, they were pretty poor last season. Obviously, new regime. Um, let's see what happens. I, the one thing I would say is Brighton now, I don't think they play against anyone or go anywhere in the Premier League with any fear. They don't go thinking this is a game where we can't get. The team they've really struggled to do that so far, the only one is Man City but they always feel that they've got a chance wherever they go. Went to Liverpool last season, were 2-0 down in 20 minutes, came back and drew 2-2 and might have won. So um, it'll be, it'll be uh, interesting to see how that start works out. It really is a demonstration of how unpredictable the Premier League is. And I think it shows also how competitive it is as well. And obviously going into my last question, and Andy, thank you again for for doing this obviously i think we've spoken a lot about nc so we've spoken a bit about the club but i wanted a bit more from your perspective being based there and maybe for those that maybe haven't had the chance to visit england or haven't even been to brighton yet what makes this club so special and you know obviously going into a six consecutive season in the premier league after like you mentioned in the in the beginning went through some tough times in the 90s almost went broke basically then had successive promotions um, obviously going into more stability under Graham Potter. What makes this club so special? And also, as we saw Julio Enciso get adapted to the city, like you said, he's got his personal trainer, his family's also come through as well as we've seen on social media. Maybe for those who maybe come from Paraguay and will have the opportunity to visit the city of Brighton, what makes it special? And what can, you know, for those that maybe are want to go, what can we expect from the from the city itself uh for those that go there well i'm biased because i was brighton born and bred <laughs> as you should <laughs> as you <laughs> should <laughs> but it's a wonderful place uh right on the south coast so you're about 50 60 miles south of london 
what tends to happen when the weather's nice, when it's a bank holiday, the summer, lots of people travel down from London because uh, it's one of the nearest accessible seaside places to stay. So the traffic gets very busy sometimes and week weekends with, with uh, trippers coming down to, to the beach. I mean, I live in Shoreham by Sea, which is um, sort of eight miles west of Brighton itself. If I look out the back window where I live, I can actually see the training complex, which is a fantastic, that's where Julio <laughs> will have been training with, with the rest of his new teammates. That's a fantastic facility, really high level. Um, that it was um, opened in 2014. Uh, Tony Bloom, as I mentioned before, a lot of money has been spent to give them the first class facilities, the best possible chance of competing. That's men and women and the academy. You've got the Amex Stadium, the actual stadium, which is a really nice, modern, uh, well-equipped stadium, which they moved into in 2011-12. Um, it's a good size for Brighton because you're talking about round about the 30,000 just over. And that means that in throughout their time in the Premier League, nearly every game has been pretty near capacity or close close to capacity so the stadium's usually always always nearly full it's it's a great part great part of the world to be in and a club that, that what, what makes their story so special i think is that historical element and where they've come from because they really were in a very bad place um, in the mid 90s once they leave the Goldstone ground, they, they actually went to Hereford on the final day of the 1996-97 season. And if they'd lost, they'd have been out of the Football League. They'd have been out of going into non-league football. Um, they managed to get a draw and they came through a period of ground sharing at Gillingham, which is a 150 mile round trip away, two seasons playing home games. 150 mile round trip. Um, they then had a temporary move back that brought them back to the city, but it was within stadium, which is essentially an athletics track, which was converted. So that was meant to be their home for a fairly short period and became their home for a lot longer period, about 12 years. So it really has been a pretty remarkable journey to get to where they are now. And here they are still progressing, really. So I, th I think any Brighton supporter at this stage in the club's uh, history, you've really got to appreciate what they're doing here, um, what they've done so far, what they might still continue to do, because they're, they're not far off, as, as good as it realistically gets. You know, you're competing against those Realistically, Brighton are never going to be a top six club. That, that, that's just the reality. Those big clubs, they, they've got vastly superior resources. And, and then you've got other clubs. Obviously, you've got Newcastle now with the money, other big clubs. So, so Brighton are not far off, you know, being as, as, as good as it gets. And they've already been in the Premier League. Now, this will be their sixth successive, successive big department season which is some achievement. I mean, I happen to be a lifelong Stoke supporter, which is another story that's simply because Gordon Banks, the great and late uh, former Stoke and England goalkeeper, was my kind of idol as a kid growing up. 
And, and Stoke went on a journey where they got to the Premier League and lasted 10 years and, and reached an FA Cup final, reached Europe, uh, got to the Europa League. Now they're back in the championship and struggling really again, don't look like coming back to this level. So you really, they, I would say to any Brighton supporter, you've really got to enjoy these times. Yes, I understand frustrations. I understand people getting frustrated, moaning with individual results. And that's what being a fan's all about. But this is a really great time to be a Brighton fan. And the way they're going, the way they're progressing with a great, innovative uh, coach as well, there's no reason why that can't continue and why Julio won't be part of that um, exciting journey. Will definitely be an exciting journey for a lot of Paraguayans who are obviously going to be very expected to see what Julio can do, to see what Brighton can do. Obviously, the Premier League is very big over here in, in the States where we're based, but also in Paraguay as well. And obviously, we will definitely see how the team and, of course, how Julio does uh, this season under Graham Potter. Andy, I want to thank you for joining us and I want to thank Ralph and Maria for joining us as well on this great chat talking about Julio Enziso and Brighton Hove Albion. So for myself, Roberto Rojas, Ralph Hanna, and Maria Britos, thank you so much for listening in. See you soon. <laughs>